Ooh, new intro for the revamped show. Hello, I'm Caesar, and you're listening to Sound Encounters, a music podcast where I take a look at and discuss new and classic releases. Hope you're all doing well. I want to thank you for tuning in and giving this show a listen. It's much appreciated. So yes, we are now Sound Encounters instead of the Playback Podcast. I felt this name fit the show better than Playback, and it, it, it just feels right, you know? Sometimes things just, just feel right, feel like they belong. So from now on, we are Sound Encounters. And the format will stay mostly the same with a couple of variations here and there. I've got some ideas for the future. But for now, I've got a great show for you today. I'll be reviewing the new Arm & Hammer album, Shrines, as well as finally taking a look at a classic release, Rage Against Machines, debut 1992 record, as well as talk about my favorite albums of 2020 so far. So without further ado, let's get right into the show. So the first record I wanted to cover this week is Shrines by the New York hip-hop duo Arm & Hammer, aka Billy Woods and Elucid. The last time we heard from the duo together was in 2018 on Paraffin, a record that delved into the grimy and dismal corners of our reality, coupled with some of the heaviest and most psychedelic production I've heard on a hip-hop record in the past decade. And the last we heard from Billy was last year on Hiding Places, another dark entering his discography, this time pulling from the harrowing stories of his past. Those records immersed me in their bleak and eerie atmospheres. It was like nothing else I've heard in the abstract hip-hop genre. So when I realized they were releasing a new project this year, I was kind of hoping for another Paraffin or another Hiding Places. But after listening to this new project, I'm glad Billy and Elucid didn't redo these projects or their moods and tones, and went in the opposite direction for a lighter tone and more spiritual route. Sure, they still refer to paranoia and how much they hate the government and corporate America, but these are contrasted by lyrics that turn toward hope and optimism. Take, for instance, Charms, a song that begins with the loss of innocence and the realization of how chaotic our world is, yet it ends with a sort of call to arms as Elucid seeks oneness. This is what Elucid raps on the last verse. From the dust, reanimated and birthed anew. From the rib, there were two. We speak abundance, seeking oneness. My interpretation of this is that Elucid is trying to tell us that in order to achieve harmony amongst each other, Something needs to change, something needs to die and be reborn. Whether it be our society or our way of thinking, there needs to be change. We also see him taking something like an apocalypse or the death of our society and transforming it into hope. We also see a lucid call for change on his last verse on Ramesses II. He says life isn't static and everything has to change eventually. Then he refers to the Tower of Babel story from the Bible, asking himself what if God didn't destroy it and humanity was united without barriers, such as language, as the Tower was meant to do. The production on these songs mirror its hopeful outlook as the beat on charms is comprised of these bright woodwinds and tribal drumming that stood out to me as very lighthearted, as well as the twinkling piano keys on Ramesses II, very different from the glitchy eeriness of Paraffin. On the other hand, we have the earth-shattering pommel horse, which I think is kind of hilarious as Elucid seems to take that optimism from the end of Charms and then immediately destroy it at the beginning of Pommel Horse as the first line talks about hopes and dreams, and in the very next one he talks about the Challenger space shuttle explosion. 
Just damn elucid. Didn't expect my soul to be crushed right after you got my hopes up. Thanks for that. There's also a reference to the apocalypse, this time on a universal scale, as the moon and the stars and the planets collapse. That's a direct quote from the song, by the way. But anyways, I started to notice a lot of songs on here referring to death and rebirth. There's also a lot of references to faith and religion, as we saw in Charms and Ramesses II. There's also two songs called Parables and the Eucharist. Not standouts or highlights or anything, but it definitely reinforces the religious theme going on here. After seeing that Elucid and Billy have death and destruction on their mind, as they tend to do, it makes sense that they would turn towards religion as some form of security and reassurance, which is why I believe sections of this record are, are lighter in tone, as they are searching for the light in these dark times. Some songs sound like they are trapped, trying to navigate a labyrinth like on Dead Cars. It's a lyrically dense song that took me some time to decipher, but when I did, I found that Billy and Elucid are somewhat haunted by their past, and no matter how many times they try to let go of it or, or try to forget it, it always follows them. They seem to paint their past as a neighborhood, as they refer to churches, junkyards, and scrapyards, trash and dead cats in the streets, and empty lots. And this is reinforced in Elucid's verse when he says, Dusty feet beat streets with a breeze to their back. Some things you just can't leave in the past. They follow you home like skinny dogs separated from the pack. Just masterfully colorful image. It's wonderful, but at the same time, it can get frustrating. Because when you go into an Arm & Hammer project or a solo Billy Woods effort, just remember, they will hit you with abstract lyrics, powerful imagery, and cryptic metaphors. Even I haven't decoded every song or every verse from this project, and I still feel like I'm deciphering lyrics from paraffin and hiding places. But this is also a good thing, as I feel like these sort of lyrics bring keep bringing me back, so there's that replay value that I put so much emphasis on when talking about albums that I really like. You know, I have this urge to figure out what the heck they're trying to tell me. On the production front, there's some good and there's some bad. A lot of highlights and some that I can't even remember. Earl Sweatshirt, Navy Blue, and Kenny Siegel, who collaborated with Billy Woods on Hiding Places, take over some of the beats on this project. And these are artists that can get creative with their production, and because of it, it makes their songs a much more memorable listen. Rappers also feature on some verses here, like Sweatshirt. Uh, there's also Quelly Chris, Rap Ferreira, to name a couple. I was excited to see some of these names on here, but I don't think they contribute that much to the record, or their verses, or the songs that they're featured in. I always feel like Billy or Elucid kind of outshine them whenever there are features on, featured on certain songs. Rap Ferreira was probably the best out of all of these features. Him and Fielded, who I don't really know, but I thought her singing was pretty gorgeous. But yeah, this record took me some time to figure out, and boy, do I mean some time, because it took me a while to just figure out what the hell they were saying on this thing. But isn't that part of the fun of it? No? It's just me? Alright. But anyway, I highly recommend Shrines, especially if you are a fan of these guys and a fan of conscious abstract hip-hop. Alright, so I've been wanting to cover a classic album for a while now, and I was struggling to kind of decide what to do because there's just so many options. I can do, you know, Velvet Underground popped into my head, a Beatles, Wu-Tang Clan, but ultimately I decided on 
the first Rage Against the Machine album, Rage Against the Machine, partially because I just feel like this album is relevant in today's climate, and mostly because I saw Rage Against the Machine trending on Twitter around the week of June 8th, if I'm recalling this correctly. This was because of this idiotic tweet telling the band that they were no longer going to listen to Rage Against Machine because of how they were expressing their political opinion and how musicians should just stick to music and not butt in with their opinions. Come on, man. So yeah, here we are talking about Rage Against the Machine's self-titled debut released on November 1992. Rage Against the Machine is a rap metal alternative metal band that formed in 1991 in Los Angeles, California. We have Brad Wilk on percussion, Timmy C on bass, Tom Morello on guitar, and Zach Della Rocha as the frontman and vocalist for Rage Against the Machine. This album features a lot of aggressive and destructive performances, both musically and lyrically. Arrangements are mostly focused on explosive riffs, crashing drums, groovy bass lines, and De La Rocha's intense vocal delivery. And lyrically, well, let's just say they live up to that rage in their name, but we'll get to that soon. I wanted to talk about the range and diversity in these compositions first. This is an album that fuses elements of funk, metal, and hip-hop really well. It doesn't feel cheap or, or gimmicky or, or messy. And to be honest, I feel like Rage is the only band that can pull this off as I don't really hear much about rap metal today or I'm not even sure if that is a genre outside of Rage Against the Machine. But yeah, just look at the diversity found here. You got the violent rapping of Bomb Track, the intense buildup and breakdown in the last minute of Bullet in the Head, the heavy opening riff of Wake Up, and we get a nasty, funky bass line on Take the Power Back. My god, does it freaking slap. While all this is amazing, and I guess for lack of a better term, badass, there are also moments of calm and quiet on here. The bass and drums on Settle for Nothing move slowly, taking its time to create this sparse atmosphere. But then as soon as it reaches the chorus, we get this explosiveness again as the guitars, drum, and vocals are intensified. The song switches between loud and quiet, creating this anticipation, and honestly, it makes it a much more dynamic listen for me. And I kind of wasn't expecting this with Rage's music, as I mainly associated them with just this hard rock metal sound. Even with songs I don't like as much, like Fistful of Steel, the band knows how to keep the arrangements fresh throughout their runtimes. This one in particular has another loud to quiet switch up so as to avoid being static or one note. You'd have to have so much reserve to not bang your head or, or feel the energy coursing through your body while listening to these songs. Just incredible guitar and vocal work here. Of course, all of these compositions are accompanied by the frustrated and angry lyrics of Zach De La Rocha. On Bomb Track, he raps about burning the suits, which is a term that refers to authority figures wearing suits, such as businessmen, lawyers, practically anyone benefiting from the capitalist system in America. Take the Power Back calls for people who are tired of being cheated by the government and the political system to fight back and essentially overthrow the establishment. Wake Up points out the blatant racism within the American government, and Know Your Enemy is a scathing critique on the American dream and it calls out and attacks the establishment, or the man. Maybe establishment is a better word, actually. And of course, I saved the best for last, the standout track, the only song I actually knew from this album. The song that most people, I'm just stalling, it's killing in the name. God, this is such a legendary song, and just so relevant now as De La Rocha targets police, relating them to the KKK, as both groups have targeted people of color, specifically black people. 
And if De La Rocha's hostility just isn't enough, listen to those infectious riffs throughout the song and even the wild assaults in the chorus. It's rock at its best. Ultimately, this album is a collection of protest songs that are just amplified by these intense performances from the band. And actually, there were a couple times where I got goosebumps just listening to these songs, specifically on Killing in the Name, The End of Know Your Enemy, and The Beginning of Wake Up. And I think that just goes to show the power these songs hold. That's why they're so popular today, even. And I guess the sad part is that these songs still hold significant weight as we have a frankly crappy administration in the U.S. And with the protests going on following another victim of police brutality, it's just a bit depressing. On the bright side, we can listen to these songs to give us the strength to keep standing up for what's right and let those who would put us down know that we aren't giving up and we aren't going anywhere. So yeah, that's my take on Rage Against the Machine's self-titled album from 1992. Believe it or not, I this is like the first time I'm listening to this. Except for Killing of the Name. That was like the, the only song that I knew of before going into this record. But yeah, give it a listen as it is a certified classic. And now to close out the show, I would like to talk about my favorite albums of the year so far. I have a small list here. I've listened to around 50 albums this year so far. So if you have any suggestions, if you think I've missed some, please let me know. Either you can tag me on Twitter at Caesar underscore Torres, or you can leave a message on the Sound Encounters Anchor page. Also, this list is arranged in no particular order. I haven't really ranked them yet. I mean, I, I definitely have a favorite so far, but in terms of the other albums, it's hard for me to place them and I'm I'm still listening through them and thinking, oh, is this one better than that one? How does this one compare to this one? So yeah, this isn't a ranked list either. I'm just putting my favorite albums out there. Starting with Shrines by Arm & Hammer. I already went through this album earlier uh, in the show, but to get the quick rundown, Billy Woods and Elucid have made their most indirect album yet. And yes, it could get frustrating. I had to listen to songs multiple times to understand what they were saying and understand their deeper meaning. And yeah, that can get annoying for some listeners, but I think that's part of the fun. I like dissecting the lyrics and finding the deeper meaning within them, especially from Billy Woods, as I've been impressed with a lot of what he's put out so far. And he's definitely one of the more methodical rappers out there right now. And also, I, I feel like I'm going to get a ton of replay value as I try to figure out what they are saying in these songs. And also, we get some of the most colorful and lush production featured on an Arm & Hammer record, as well as one of the more optimistic Arm & Hammer records ever to be released. Peaceful as hell, Black Dresses. I can't talk about this record or this band without getting a bit upset as they just recently broke up about a month or so ago. And it's upsetting because I really have been enjoying the music that they've been putting out. Their sound is a mix of electro-industrial and noise pop. You get a lot of harsh noises, a lot of abrasive textures. But this project also has its calm moments, like on Left Arm of Life or The Closer. They do spend some time with a, a more ethereal atmosphere. But because it's mixed with the more aggressive sounds of most of the album, it can be a very eclectic album. It makes for an unpredictable first listen. The duo also indulges in a lot of inspiring songs as they touch on themes of friendship 
and and expressing yourself, being yourself. You know, Devi and Rook are, are two transgender women. And because of that, it, it makes the message of being yourself and expressing yourself so much more powerful. But yeah, this if this really is the last Black Dresses album, I, I, I'm just so upset because I think if they kept making music, they, they were going to go on to do great stuff. Draining Love Story by Sewer Slut. Yes, that really is the name of the artist. And if you're not aware of them, I, I don't blame you. I wasn't really aware of them until this year. They mostly post on Bandcamp, and a lot of their stuff are not on Spotify, except for this record. This is also a genre that I wasn't really well-versed in, as I don't know a lot of atmospheric drum and bass songs. But I'm glad I gave this record a listen because it gave me a, a new sound to explore. This style that they cover in the record utilizes a lot of broken drum patterns and ethereal ambient sound to create a, a frenetic energy, but also very calming. It was it was quite the strange listen. That being said, I had a lot of fun with it. I, I love this record. RTJ4, Run the Jewels. I'm not sure if this is a hot take or not, but this record really rivals RTJ2 in terms of greatness. Some of their best production and lyrics are featured on RTJ4. Sure, there are some beats on here that sound like they would fit easily right into previous RTJ albums. The first three songs in particular have that familiar RTJ vibe with the, the more abrasive textures, the booming bass. But then we get a song like Holy Calamafuck, which features this industrial beat switch halfway through the song that blew me away on first listen. It, it, it kind of gave me goosebumps as well. And I'm glad that LP was incorporating more industrial sounds within this song and, and in this record. Also, one of my favorite uh, uh, samples from the year, The Ground Below. LP uses the metallic guitar strumming from Ether by Gang of Four. It really is just a, a sick beat. And I think my favorite Mike verses and, and lyrics are featured on this record. You know, just listen to Just, listen to Walking in the Snow, listen to uh, a few words for the Firing Squad. Mike is just so angry. He's he's so fed up. And that anger, that 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 ferocity is, is featured throughout the entire record as he wants justice for the innocent lives taken by by law enforcement. I love me some politically conscious hip hop and RTJ does that well and you should you should probably listen to RTJ for just a nice record. Sinisas by Nicholas Jar. I discovered Nicholas Jar through his side project Against All Logic. And while I do like his style of house music, I believe his solo work is 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 more compelling than Against All Logic. I never expected something so cold and sinister from Nicholas. But I mean that that shouldn't be surprised knowing the story of the record as he he isolated himself while making it just to avoid the negativity in his life. However, the negativity just persisted and, and, and that reflects in the music. Just listen to the, those desolate tracks like Vanish and Sinisas and, and Sunder. One of my favorite aspects of this record is the distant and, and alien-like vocals heard throughout the record. He also uses pianos to his advantage as, as a lot of the keys sound broken or heartbreaking and, and lost. However, the light shines through on this record as, as tracks like Mud and Hello Chain are, are uplifting, they're inspiring and angelic. He ends up ending the album on a good note on Faith Made Out of Silk, which sounds like a generic IDM track, but I like how he was able to tie it up nicely, having, having this more optimistic view than how the album started. How I'm Feeling Now, Charlie XCX. I'm so glad we got a new Charlie album in 2020. 
She's continually becoming one of my favorite electropop artists in the scene. I, I think she's a defining voice in the scene, I, I would say. But I, I've had her last full-length release, uh, Charlie, from 2019, on my mind a lot. And I, I was a bit disappointed with that record because I feel like the truly great songs that she has on there are, are, are drowned out by filler or less than impressive songs. But with this new album being uh, 11 songs and uh, less than 40 minutes in length, I was hoping that the the fat was trimmed, so to say, and, and we would get to the bangers. We would, we would see her improve. And for the most part, she really does improve. You know, right off the bat, we're greeted with this noisy, unconventional beat. And right after I heard that, I knew I was in for a treat as, as she focuses more on the production side. We are hearing more abrasive and eccentric production. Some of my favorite songs on here actually feature Dylan Brady of 100 Gex as a producer. You know, listen to songs like Claws and, and C2.0 and Anthems, and, and it, it's just so great to hear because it sounds like Brady is, is trying to push the conventions of what a typical pop beat or pop arrangement is supposed to sound like. But if the production side isn't enough to, to hook you, We've got an album that I feel like is going to look back on in the future because this was made during the coronavirus pandemic. She made this record while in quarantine. And because of that, we do have themes of isolation, solitude, but we also get themes of missing her friends and wanting to party. Charlie is concocting these amazing bangers that she's known for, and I couldn't expect anything less from Charlie XEX. Gray by Moses Sumney. Oh man, talk about uh, a transcendental experience. This is Moses Sumney's second full-length album, and boy, does he leave a mark on on the soul scene. And I guess it is kind of a disservice to his music to just label his music solely as soul. Let's see what I did there. But he incorporates neo-soul, art-pop, R&B, all with an experimental edge creating this unique sonic palette on both discs. Yes, this album is two discs long. It's about an hour long in length. But on the first disc alone, we hear these daring compositions from Sumni, like Viral or or the tension-building conveyor, the symphony of saxophones on, on, on color, and Gagarin, which has this typical R&B arrangement, but mixing it with his distorted vocals in a way, you you hear like a combination of both the natural and the unnatural. That's what initially drove me to this record. And this album has something for everyone as the second disc starts to incorporate more stripped back and acoustic works, such as Polly, although Polly's on the first disc, but Two Dogs, Bystanders, most of the songs on the second disc. And man, his falsetto is just stunning. His voice, his his performance brings an, an elegance and a grandiose feeling on every track, even on the more stripped-back ones. But still, he's just an, an amazing singer. This is an amazing record. Go check it out. Less Life by Died. Post-hardcore is back, baby. And I'm not talking about Falling in Reverse or A Day to Remember. I'm talking about real 90s post-hardcore. This is their debut record. They spent two EPs honing in on their sound. And because of that, there was a lot of comparisons to the classic 90s post-hardcore bands, uh, specifically Slint, as their, their their debut self-titled EP features a song that sounds a lot like Good Morning, Captain. 
There's a lot of vocal passages that are reminiscent of Spiderland. But I really think they've they've come into their own on Less Life, you know, while also paying respects to their influences. We have a punk attitude and aggression on most of these tracks, dynamic and complex arrangements, post-rock sections on, 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 on one song in particular that blew me away while listening to it, as it has these soaring guitars, and, and I really wasn't expecting it. We also have a mix of, of pop-punk or, or power-pop chords that are, are prominent in, in a couple of these songs as well. But yeah, if you like bands like Fugazi, At The Drive-In, Unwound, give this record a listen. I can't wait to see what these guys are going to do later down the line. Before I wrap up, I want to talk about a few honorable mentions as I've given these records a listen when they came out, but at the time when I listened to them, I just didn't really get them. And now that I spent a little more time with them, I feel a new appreciation for them. Purple Moonlight Passages by Rap Ferreira, aka Milo, was an album I didn't connect with on first listen. I just thought the, the beats were boring. I, I I didn't mind his delivery. I just didn't think it stood out. But now giving it a, another listen, giving it a, multiple listens actually, I, I quite enjoy his poetic lyrics and his low-key delivery. I'm, I'm a huge fan of abstract hip-hop, if, if I haven't made that clear in the past. But his, his, his mixture of, of quiet and calm production to sort of be a companion to his poetic lyrics just works so well. I don't know why I didn't see it initially. You know, re-listening to songs like Laundry or, or Greens, Cycles, No Starving Artist, Leaving Hell really have changed my mind on this record. And and I've been giving it a lot of re-listens, so I, I'm glad that I was I, it stuck out on my mind and, and, and I decided to revisit it. And Set My Heart on Fire Immediately by Perfume Genius. This was one of the first records I covered on the first episode of this podcast when it was Playback Podcast. Uh, but I... I I wouldn't say I was too negative on it. I, I definitely, there was definitely some aspects that I did not enjoy about this record, but giving it more lessons, giving it more time, I can see why people like it. I can see why it's better than I initially thought. And and Perfume Genius is still an artist that I, I find difficulty connecting to outside of Too Bright, which is a fantastic record. And when I was initially reviewing this record, I, I had said that I didn't really like how the instrumentals would shift from bleak back to hopeful and optimistic and, and switch back to like the dark and the quiet. But it's not, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. There are still some songs in here that I think are quite boring or not really stand out in any significant way. But after giving it a couple of re-listens, I can definitely appreciate it. I can definitely see it was one of the better albums I've listened to so far this year. Well, that does it for this week of Sound Encounters. I think I'll have a lot to talk about next week as a new Phoebe Bridges just dropped. We also have singles from The Killers, Idols, and Beyonce, as well as a new Bob Dylan album. So I'm going to be pretty excited to talk about that. Don't forget, you can all listen to this podcast on Breaker, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, as well as Radio Public. You can follow me on Twitter at Caesar underscore Torres. That's C-A-E-S-A-R underscore T-O-R-R-E-S. Thank you to Soundstripe for their wonderful selection of music, which I use today. And thank you for tuning in and listening and supporting my little show here. I'm Caesar. This has been Sound Encounters, and I'll see you next week.